Hello, I'm Jacqueline Hillier and this is the Tantric Lounge where we talk sex, science and spirituality. Yes, I am the sexual scientific mystic and I'm here to inform you, to enlighten you and probably even tantalise you a little around the topics of sex, love and intimacy. And here joining me yet again on my third show is my dear friend and creative collaborator Xavier Watercane, who I feel, especially given all of the feedback about how wonderful he is and how he augments me so well, I should officially dub you, Xavier, my co-host. Thank you for the dub. Shall we get on with it? We should indeed. <laughs> okay, fine. Just um, as an aside, mm. the viewers, the listeners at home can't see this, but you've got a bunch of flowers here on the table. I do. Why are they there, aside from their obvious symbology as sexual organs? Yes, they are quite symbolic. I'm not quite sure whether they're female or male organs. What do you think? They're sort of hollow and welcoming like a female genitalia, yet they're quite long and protruding like male. Well, who can speculate about the sex life of plants? Very hermaphroditic, I'd can we, say. Can we move them? Because last week we had a spillage and what they also don't know out there in radio land yes. is that we then had to have an argument about the spillage and the wet, who was going to sit on the wet spot on the <laughs> alpaca carpet. And in fact, we were talking about wetness, weren't yes, we? we? Were. That, we were. Whole, that whole science body, I mean, that spiritual, physical split that we... Was, has been so ingrained for so long. And this week we're talking about another split, the split we between are. male and female. Yes, we are, yes. Today's topic is men are from Earth and women are from Earth. And this was also the um, topic of your <laughs> workshop that you ran last week, isn't it? Well, to some extent, that's a couple's tantric workshop. I call it Luscious Lovers. And it's very much about helping couples reconnect in a very luscious, gorgeous, quite erotic, deep, beautiful spiritual space. And what was the main theme that came out of that? Well, as ever, I think it was about the 25th one I've run. And as ever, by the end of the day, the couples, I mean, just the love, everyone's just swimming in it, basking in the love and and the lusciousness, it's, it's so wonderful when people can combine the love and the sexual energies together. Either one on their own can be a bit missing. But when you get the two together in a beautiful space. A lot of the time when people are talking about sex, they talk about sex, they don't talk about love. Yes. And yet practically any time you talk to about anyone intimately about the subject of sex. Yes. Sex with love beats sex on its own, hands down, each and every time. Absolutely. In fact, that reminds me of this young chap who came to see me last night, a client who's a bit of a player, actually. You know, he's in his late 20s and he likes to sleep around a fair bit. And he's just had sex for the first time with someone he actually felt something for. And he came in to see me. He's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. It just, like, took the whole thing to another dimension. He's like, I was feeling my heart. And I'm like, yeah, it's better, isn't it? And he's like, wow, wow. <laughs> and that was a revelation for It was him. a revelation to him because he'd so bought into this idea that, you know, sex is about, you know, the genitals and the physical and so forth. Hadn't even thought that he needed to involve the heart centre to some extent. He was involving his head centre. In fact, that's why he first came to see me because he was had that whole performance anxiety thing because he thought sex was a performance act. But that's another common pattern, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, it's even a pattern on this show where we yep. start with the head 
yes. in the first part of the show when yes. we start talking about sex and ideas yes. about sex and then yeah. we go back into the heart where we start yes. relating to people and the questions that they write in. And yeah. right at the end we end up usually doing some sort of body exercise. Yes. It seems to be a pattern. Well, indeed, yes. Yeah, you could definitely put it like that. But too many people miss the heart. Or they stay in the head all the time. Yes. Or, or they're just kind of stuck in one head, heart or, or sex. In fact, I must bring in some of my colleagues who have been doing some absolutely fascinating work around that. They call it about the multiple brains. But I, I gave the, the link to their website last week cause for that ding, ding music for the breathing. So I'll, I'll bring them in so we can have a really good chat about it. Mm. Okay. And so what is the deal with women and men? Uh, are they different species that happen to interbreed or do they actually have more in common than, than they generally imagine? Yes, yes. Well, look, while claiming that men and women are f- from different planets is, in fact, a really good marketing strategy, um, and I think it's made someone extremely wealthy. Um, and there are good points around that. But the fact is, is that we've got a lot more in common than we have different. Such as? Well, virtually everything. Like 99.9% of the DNA to start off with. Well, yes, for a start. I mean, hey, we share 60% of our DNA with bloody fruit flies, for instance. I mean, hello, we share 97.9 something percent with the bonobos and chimpanzees, our nearest um, relatives. And when we're talking about males and females, well, it's pretty much all the same. For those of you who don't know, the bonobo is Mm. actually a separate species of chimpanzee that isn't as populous as the mountain chimp, the more common one that we know of. And for those of you who don't know, the bonobo is actually one of the sexiest animals on the planet. They are having sex all the time. Yes, and they are actually our closest relatives. Which More probably so even than the says a lot, doesn't it? It does indeed. So um, let's talk about mm. the similarity. Well, what is it? Okay, why do people use mm. gender yes. as an excuse to mm. be something or not to be something? And what are the myths around all of that? Yeah, you see, part of the problem is, and why buying into these myths will prevent your personal growth and, and actually achieving empowerment around your sexuality, <clears throat> therefore empowerment in general, is that if you start labelling people, one or the other, you're a man, therefore, you're a woman, therefore, I'm a woman, therefore, I'm a man, therefore. It limits you and you can't actually see yourself or each other in your entirety. Let me give you an example. It wasn't that long ago. I had two new uh, couple clients coming to see me, one after another. Very, very similar. You know, they're both professionals. They're both, you know, very well off, um, similar ages. I think they're sort of like early 40s kind of thing you know, some young children at school. So, you know, in terms of socioeconomic and all that sort of thing, very similar. So the first couple rock in and she's like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's a man. He should want sex all the time. He doesn't want sex. You know, I have my needs, Um, blah, blah. This is a big problem. And the guy's going, well, you know, I work really hard. I'm tired. You know, don't, you can't expect too much. You know, I'm a man, blah, blah. All right, deal with them. Next couple walk in, as I said, very similar socioeconomic. And he's like, well, I'm a man, so obviously I have a high sex drive and I need a lot of sex. And she's like, well, I'm a woman and therefore I have a lower sex drive and you're just sex crazed and you need to respect my needs. So two separate couples saying exactly the opposite Opposite. things about whatever they were identifying with. Yes. One man saying, 
I'm a man, therefore I'm too tired. Yes, I'm because I work hard too hard as being a provider. Yes, and the other man saying yes. Yeah, I want it all the time. I'm a man, therefore I want it all the, all the time. And in the yeah. other couple, I'm yeah. a woman. Yeah, I want it all the time. Well, I have my needs. I have my needs. Yes. Yes. Because women are usually not as direct as I want it all the time. They're usually saying things like, I have my needs. Yes, yes. And, and, and it was definitely more confusing for the first couple because they're not the social norm where, you know, it's supposed to be that the men are gagging for it all the time and the women are holding out on them. And how do you deal with that problem then? Oh, well, but it's actually very straightforward. This whole idea of mismatched libidos is is just insane. I mean, there's always going to be different libidos. There's always going to be a higher desire and a lower desire partner in sex or in anything else, whether it's visiting the in-laws or cooking dinner or going to, you know, Costa Rica for a holiday. Everyone's going to have differing levels of desire for different things. Like a desire for a clean room. Well, oh, yes, and that brings me on to one of the key points, and that is that the differences that a couple will face are more likely to do with other elements than their sexuality, like one is cleaner than the other, for instance. That causes more angst <laughs> in most, most couples. Okay, so sex, even looking at sex drive mm-hmm. as a general thing where mm-hmm. there can be a mismatch, mm. and, of course, just staying on that sex drive mismatch mm. thing, mm. It doesn't follow that a man will always be the higher desiring partner. No, good heavens no. Half the couples I see, the man's got the lower desire. And even then, it doesn't mean that he's going to be the higher or lower desire partner all the time. All the time, exactly. But people have this preconception Mm. that they're on this hard switch. Mm. I am always going to be the higher desire partner. I am always going to be the lower desire partner. Mm. And that gets in the way. Oh, yeah. But the theme of this week is it also gets in the way because people have a preconception about what is normal Mm -hmm. for a man and what is normal Normal. for a woman. And I'm doing the inverted commas thing (laughs) with my fingers here. Yes. You see, we're actually all on a spectrum. It's like a continuum. And if we're going to look at sex drive, for instance, there's a whole continuum from people who have absolutely no sex drive whatsoever to people who are just these randy bastards who just can't stop thinking about it, okay? But the general impression is that the that higher <laughs> end of the spectrum, the randy bastards who can't stop thinking about it, oh, well, are usually bastards, not bitches. <laughs> yes, yes. So the men are all up one end and the women are all up down the other end. And never the twain shall meet. Yes, because over there is Mars and down there is Venus. And over in Venus, they don't like to have sex. And over in Mars, they can't stop thinking about it. And what you're saying is that there's this big hill in the middle. It's a bell curve. Where most people are. For people who don't know what a bell curve is, it's one of those graphs which look a little bit like a bell bell. upside, a bell. Yes. And where all of the extremes are at two ends, like extreme Mm -hmm. gagging for extreme ice ice planet. (laughs) (laughs) And in the middle there's the warm, lush, tropical area (laughs) where there are mostly men Mm. and mostly women more or less Yes. Sort of in the middle. Yes. And look, it is probably true, and I want to go more into the differences in our, the actual real differences in the next program. But yes, while it might be true that the male bell curve might be slightly more up towards the gagging for it end of things, and there is reason for that, there's a lot of women up there too, right? If we're looking at the top 10% of people who are really into want sex a lot, you would find more men there. There's no doubt about that. But there's a lot of women up there. 
And if you look at the lowest desire level, the lowest 10%, you probably would find more women there. But you'd also find a lot of men. (laughs) And that's the point that I'm making. And this is not a gender thing as people normally think about it. No, no. What are some of the other myths that people have? I am a man, therefore... Oh, that, oh, what about the one, here's another classic, that men don't like sensual lovemaking, that they just want to, like, get their dicks wet, if I can be a little crude. Oh, feel free. Yes. But, yeah, that men are these animalistic creatures who just want to get their end in, they just want to get their penis wet, they just want to have an orgasm, and that they don't like all the other sort of stuff. Well, you know, I've spoken to thousands of people intimately about sex, and that is certainly not what impression the men get. And I certainly meet plenty of women who kind of like, you know, I don't necessarily want all of that. So even a man who has these preconceptions in their head, Mm. this is what men are like, Mm. when they start talking about it, they actually realise that they're not really like that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. People like, I mean, the whole thing about having sex is that it's about you know, physical connection and pleasure and so forth. And a lot of guys will tell me that they'd actually rather just masturbate than to have sex with their partner if she's not into it. Given that that would release the tension yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Because it, because I'd rather get just get that out of the way, like sneezing. Yeah, well, if you're having... See, solo sex and partnered sex is different. Like, you can have solo sex just as because it feels good, you need to release some tension or whatever it happens to be. But you don't want to be having partnered sex and effectively be masturbating into your partner. It's not satisfying. On the other scale, Mm. there's also the women who Mm -hmm. have this impression that all they ever want, that women are supposed to always want the sensual, Mm -hmm. slow... Mm. Mills and Booney thing (laughs) happening. Was there a lot of women who do want hard, rumpy, pumpy? Yes, absolutely. And you know what? There's a lot of different ways to have sex. There's a lot of different ways to have sex. And probably for most people, they want different things at different times. It's like food. You know, sometimes you want a four-course elaborate meal. Other times you just want some cheese on toast. You just want something quick and simple. Which brings us back to this idea of men and women. There's, mm. I mean, men and women have different preconceptions about food. Men are mm-hmm. the steak and potatoes, <laughs> and women are the fairy cupcakes. And, oh, fairy! Yeah, but, what is it? The cupcakes. Yes, but there are men who like cupcakes. <laughs> And women who like lots of meat. And the men who like lots of meat. (laughs) And again, it's not about being male or female. It's more about individual differences. Yes. Than about gender differences. Yes. And about a couple working together to work with what their individual eroticisms are and actually allowing themselves to know what their eroticism is, what they like, what they don't like, not just in general, but in a given moment. It might be that one time, yes, I would like a little bit of, you know, romance, bring me some roses and so forth because I'm feeling a bit flat and tired and I need a bit of a boost. And other times I'm in a really good mood, you know, and actually we haven't got a lot, lot of time, so let's just get down to it and have a quick shag, right? That could be a man or a woman saying that. Even so, there is still individual differences. Yes. Which we can celebrate. Indeed, we can. As I say, there are differences between men and women. The X and Y chromosomes do create a difference. But, hey, vive la différence. Or as the um, Americans say on their coinage, yes. e pluribus unum, from the many, the one. From Absolutely. many different types of experience and different types of yes. personality, yeah. 
people can draw this idea of unity. They can find unity in sex. They can find unity from the diversity. Yes. But the diversity is not necessarily gender-based. No. The diversity is more about individual differences Mm -hmm. that are greater than whatever group differences exist between Mm. men and women. Yes. So especially the American listeners Mm. of the program, every time they want to remind themselves of this fact, all they have to do is look at their money. They do indeed. Yes. So you can draw a connection between money and sex that's quite different from the usual (laughs) connection that people draw between money and sex. Yes, because we are, in fact, not the opposite sexes. We are the complementary sexes. And, of course, if people want to read more on the subject, mm-hmm. the ebooks of this series are available from um, jacquelinehillier.com or thetantriclounge.com. Yes. Okay. Mm. I think we'll go to our commercial break now. Terrific. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Hello, this is Jacqueline Hillier and you're listening to the Tantric Lounge. We're talking sex, science and spirituality with my co-host Xavier Watercane and today we have been talking about men are from Earth and women are from Earth. And because they're both from Earth, yes. they're much more similar than they are different. Absolutely, that's the key point I'm making. And not to use whatever differences might be as mm-hmm. an ex- or whatever preconceptions we might have as an yes. excuse not to develop. Absolutely. After all, this is the Empowerment Channel. This is, and this is an empowering show. And this is about empowering yourself mm-hmm. through ditching myths, stuff, crap in your head. Yes. It's going to stop you from developing and fulfilling and realizing your sexual potential. Absolutely. And through that, your entire human potential. Given that the sexes are complementary. Yes. It really means that. I mean, mm. not only in the outside world where we're looking often for complementarity, for example, in the workplace. In the workplace, Big theme yes. at the moment in the workplace is different yes. types of personalities yes. bring different things to the table, yes. bring variety, bring strength through diversity. Strength. You know, that's why we're doing disc analyses and Maya Briggs assessments all over the place. E pluribus unum again. Indeed. Unity through diversity. And then in the bedroom, yes. the same thing. Mm. I like this. Yes. You like this. Yes. Together we make something completely new. Absolutely beautiful and wonderful. Rather than expecting people to be the same in the yes. bedroom. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you can tap into that and when you can say, yes, our differences are good, our differences create interest and we can work together to create something gorgeous, that's when you can really start looking at it. But if you're bought into the, oh, yeah, but you're a man or, oh, yeah, but you're a woman, right? and the two will never meet, you know, we're in different parts of the solar system, how on earth are you going to have good sex if you're on different planets, for Christ's sake? Whereas a much more interesting and productive and yes. creative way of looking at this whole yes. issue is to think, I'm an individual. Mm-hmm. I vary even in, on, on a daily basis in my level of intelligence, my level of sensitivity. Yes, my level of whatever, yes. and so do my partners mm-hmm. or whatever, yes. and then we can work with that. Mm-hmm. Be creative with that rather than try yes. to be the same. Yes. We have huge brains, and what our brains are designed to do is be creative. Unfortunately, too many people limit what's going on in their brains, and when you buy into these stupid myths, you're actually closing yourself down. You're getting less and less creative. <clears throat> and therefore life and certainly sex gets more and more restricted and dull and uninteresting. 
And you know what? One of the reasons why these myths get reinforced is because people are having such dull, uninteresting sex that that does not work in particular for women. This is one of the differences between male and female sexuality is women get bored more easily. (laughs) I heard the other day somebody say women can even forgive infidelity. Yes. But they can't forgive boredom. True. But because women lose interest in long-term, boring, monotonous, monogamous relationships and don't want to have sex, there's all this stuff about, oh, women are dysfunctional, they don't have libidos, men have got it all together because simply because men have more testosterone and therefore it's generally easier for them to get aroused, not necessarily in the mood, but aroused, but women don't, there must be something wrong with the women. Time after time after time, I get women coming to me saying, what's wrong with me? I'm not enjoying sex. I'm not wanting sex. I ask them to describe the sex they're having. And I say to them, you know, you are perfectly normal. If that was my sex life, I wouldn't be wanting it either because that is Dullsville. So for the most part, women are because there's, there's that question again, what do women want? What do women want? People yes. always say, what do women want? Yes. And what you're saying is that in your clinical practice, mm-hmm. in your experience as a sex therapist, yes. what women are really wanting mm. is engagement. Uh, they yes. want variety. They want mm. a story. Mm-hmm. They want something that what they don't want is boredom yes they don't want a tap on a shoulder late at night when really all they want to do is go to sleep because they're exhausted and then they've got this miffed husband going and going oh girl come on it's been a week and she goes rolls her eyes and goes oh all right just don't take too long about it i mean turn me off baby like that's not going to work for anyone and as i said it's not working for the guys either Guys, I get more guys coming to see me saying, yeah, we're having sex, but she's not into it, so I'm not enjoying it. What can we do about it? And the se- But there are many reasons that people might not want the sex. One, mm. But one of the big ones is simply it's become boring. Well, it's boring. Well, they're doing it too late at night when they're too tired or they've just <laughs> lots of little myths like sex has to be last thing at night. Why? What do we want to do last thing at night? Sleep. We have the first of our questions coming up. Oh, yes, yes, Yes. love questions. John from Stonington in Connecticut. Yes, hello, John. Uh, It's always been this shameful secret that I have a lower sex drive than my wife. I rarely think about it and she's given up trying to initiate because she's been rejected so often. Mm. Listening to you makes me feel more normal and maybe even a little hopeful. Yes. So I guess the implied question there is from John, Mm. is he normal? Yes, of course he's normal. Everybody's normal, I guess, to some extent. (laughs) Yes, yes, to some extent. But the trouble is in his relationship, as in so many, excuse me, so many couples that I see, um, there's a mismatch. So they need to work on the mismatch. Now, if if John and his wife are buying into the, oh, men should be gagging for it all the time, then it's going to make it harder for them because that's one of the real troubles for couples where the man has the lower desire. Because there's this myth that men are gagging for it all the time. For the woman involved, she's thinking, hey, like if all the other men out there are gagging for it and my husband doesn't want to have sex with me, what must be wrong with me? Yeah, I must be the most undesirable, awful person around. So it actually really affects the self-confidence. And also even less charitably, what's wrong with him? Well, that's the other thing that can happen. If she's got a little bit more robust confidence, self-confidence, she'll turn it back on him. And quite often what happens in these situations is that the woman becomes quite harsh, 
right? Quite yang and overly masculine in her sexual approach to him. You mean castrating bitch. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. She can become quite emasculating, often with good intent. What's wrong with you? Yeah? You're not a man. That's an interesting approach, though, isn't it? Mm. Trying to make a man more manly by cutting off his balls, figuratively speaking. Yes. Does it work? No. No, it doesn't. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had to tell a woman that. And, look, I think it's bleedingly obvious, but it isn't. And, and quite often that's the big change that the woman makes. She goes, okay, maybe I need to be gentle and encouraging with him. So I'm the like, general advice yes. for John is... Yes. It's perfectly okay mm. to be who you are. Yes. Start from there. Indeed. And from there, you can he, he and his wife can start looking at some things like, well, when does he feel more like it and when doesn't he, right? How can they encourage the environment, the situations, which make him think about lovemaking, right? But not to think that he's an abnormal male. He just yes. happens to be that yes. particularly way. Let me, it just brings to mind a classic case that I had once. So it was this couple came to see me in their late 40s and they had a, a teenage daughter. I think she was about 17 or something. And he was the CEO of a large company, right? So he worked extremely hard. She didn't. She was stay-at-home. I often find it's stay-at-home mums have a lot more desire because simply because they're not as exhausted as the working ones. But anyway, so he would come home exhausted and she wouldn't want to have sex until their daughter was asleep locked up in the bedroom being 17 that was often not until 11 o'clock at night and he was saying look I'm quite happy to have sex with you I actually would like to have sex with you but I have to be asleep at 10 o'clock which means we must be in the bedroom by 9 9 30. She adamantly refused no I cannot have sex while our daughter might be awake. It was a total turn off for her. Yeah she couldn't do it so somehow they had to reconcile her being able to either have sex when their daughter was awake or not have sex because he was simply too tired and couldn't perform. But that was a situational problem. It, was it wasn't situational because problem. she was a woman and therefore frigid. Well, no, she wasn't because she was wanting it more than him. But, <laughs> but she had been blaming him. They came in with her saying, what's wrong with him? He's a man. He should be wanting it all the time. He should be able to, at 11 o'clock at night, just turn it on, bang, ready to go. Mm. We have another question, yes. Brenda from Paulo Seco, Texas. That's interesting. Paulo Seco in Spanish means dry pole. I wonder whether Brenda, <laughs> Brenda really does come from Paulo Seco because listeners and mm. the people emailing, you don't actually have to tell us any identifying information no. at all. No. So no. I don't even know whether <laughs> yes. Paulo Seco is a real place or whether <laughs> Brenda is Google just being funny. <laughs> Probably is. Um, but anyway, I know what you mean about non-gender differences being mm. bigger problems than the gender-based ones. Yes. Ours is that I'm a night person and he's a morning person. I'd be okay with that except that he thinks there's something wrong with me and that I'm lazy because I don't jump out of bed at the crack of dawn and want to have sex with him. Mm. Yet late at night when I'm up and about and often in the mood for some sex, he's long hit the sack. Yes. Yes. This is a non-gender-based difference. <laughs> it is. Men are not usually morning people or evening people. No, or women are. we're all different. Yes. And that sort of thing really, really gets in the way. But again, you know, night person, morning person, you can, you can work with that. I mean, in my own marriage, I'm no longer married 
to, to my husband. But we did have a fantastic sex life. <laughs> In fact, we were probably married a bit too long because the sex was so good. But... Um, but similarly, I was the night person, he's a morning person, but he'd get up early, he'd go for his run. By the time he got back, I'd slept in a little bit more and I was much more, you know, awake and in the mood because I'd been allowed to have a bit of the extra snooze. So I was in a good place. He would have gone for a run, come home. He was in a good place because he'd got to do what he needed to do first thing in the morning, which was to be active and bright and alert. I'd got to do what I needed to do first thing in the morning, which is hang out in bed and slowly wake up. And so we'd kind of meet at that point, both feeling fairly amorous. In the late morning, early afternoon? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it might still be fairly early in the morning, but it wasn't like he could get up at 5.30 in the morning and be raring to go. I mean, I don't start functioning till about, I can push it at about 8. Yes. Yes. What, 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 what the owls, the mm-hmm. night people really have to get across to the larks, yes. the morning people, yes. is to get off your sanctimonious high horse yes. about being early risers mm. because that's the one thing that drives me insane with morning mm-hmm. people. Oh, I'm up and about. I'm crazy. Just because you're not one either, are I'm you? not one either. No. no, I don't have to do mornings. Mornings <laughs> <Yeah>. in me. <laughs> <laughs> Bad news. Yes. I can do mornings now. Having three children, I have to get up earlier. But thank God they've inherited my gene. And they, <laughs> oh they don't God. start. That's true. The whole, the whole household here are, are late yes. risers, aren't they? I don't know what I'd do if I had those awful children who didn't got up at like at six o'clock in the morning, bright as a spark. I'm, I'm trying to wake mine up at eight o'clock because like, come on, kids, you've got to get to school. So I have a friend who has a daughter and it's the opposite situation. Mm-hmm. She's a morning person, mm-hmm. up and bright. The daughter is a late riser. So just as the evening is winding down, she just wants to relax. The daughter is raring to go and, is, <laughs> and it's really hard. Yes, yes. But mm. what we don't need from morning people is the sanctimoniousness. We don't really need the holier-and-thou attitude. Oh, no. And can I just point out there, I'm, another interesting Clark couple I'm working with at the moment, where he wakes up, he's a builder, he does get up at 5 o'clock, he's got an erection. He thought that meant he could just roll over and have sex with his partner, right? So she'd got into the mood, in, she'd started waking up at 4.30 in the morning so that she could be wake enough and hopefully in the mood for sex at 5 o'clock, but was finding that that was not working for her. Because her body clock just didn't <laughs> work that way. I was appalled. I said, I can't even conceive that 5 o'clock in the morning exists, let alone having sex at that time. Now, if she was happy having sex at 5 o'clock in the morning, fine. Right? That didn't happen. But she wasn't. And he, she wanted to have sex in the evenings when he was actually quite tired and he wanted to veg out and watch telly. But he thought that was okay because he was more self-confident and that she had the problem. And evening people mm. never get into this, I'm so holier than thou because I stay up later than you. No. I've noticed that. Mm. Yes. I think it goes back to this whole puritanical thing. The that, farmers. That ple- farmers. It all comes from farmers. Yes, and that pleasure is bad and we've got to work hard and it's all about sacrifice and being hard. So, therefore, if you get up early, you're more serious because you're getting up and anyone who's up late. Anyway. I think I've just alienated our whole rural yes. audience. No, no that's not no. what we mean. That's not what we mean. That's not what we mean. It's all good and this is a point that we're making. just so happens that you've got two owls here. That's right. So, the point is, though, Morning people have to realise that, the larks have to realise that the owls 
I just need more time to get into it. Yes. And the owls also have to realise that they yes. may have to get in a bit earlier yes. before the lark, because the larks start winding down. Yes. And they're not going to get much of them after no. 8 o'clock at night. And one of the things the owls need to realise is that sex doesn't have to be lasting at night. So if your partner wants to be asleep by 9.30 and you want to stay up until 2, that's okay as long as you get to the bedroom and have some decent nookie at 9. Either way... Being an owl or an art, lark is not a male-female thing. No. And if you have sex at 9 o'clock at night and you don't want to go to sleep, guess what? You don't have to. You can get up and do something else. What a revelation that is. But it is for a lot of people. (laughs) We have Natasha from Mount Pleasant, which is in Perth. So (laughs) Natasha's obviously a lark because this this is an early morning. Pretty early. Hi, Natasha. Um, and yes, for the listeners in other parts of the world, there is actually a real place called Mount Pleasant. <laughs> and Natasha says, I don't like porn. Mm. Is that a male-female difference? Ah, yes. Yes, it is. Now, <laughs> so this is a real difference. Yes, no, no, this is a real difference. And let me explain. And I will be going into more of this next week. But the thing is, is that, is that yes, there are women up that end of the porn-liking spectrum, but you will definitely find women clumped more down the other end. And it's not that women don't like looking at people having sex. Women can be just as voyeuristic as men can be, but it's more the way that it's presented. And one of the differences is that women do have more of a a slow boil to become aroused. And next week we'll be talking a lot more about how to keep your water simmering, so to speak, because a woman who has a high sex drive, um, it's not that she's sort of got this testosterone-driven fire libido that men have. It's more that she just you know, keeps this, this herself on a slow boil kind of thing. Um, and for a lot of women, the um, blatancy of porn can just be too in your face. So it's actually a turn-off. I mean, personally, I've never actually found any porn that I liked. Um, but, hey, give me a good erotic French movie and, yes, that will turn me on a lot more. And men, is it true that men are often more visual and women are more literary, which is why women read, which is why Fifty Shades of Grey works better as a book yes. perhaps for women yep. than it would me as a movie? Yes, yes, it does seem to be like that which isn't to say that women aren't visual but for women it's often the surroundings the surroundings that you're in are really important to women right so in that sense there's a visual thing you know women a lot of women find it really hard to have good sex in a dirty bedroom where there's crap all over the floor and yeah women can relax more if they're in a lovely environment where there's you know nice artworks and there's flowers but endless sequences of genitals pumping don't do it for women no it's just kind of like bang it's probably for a lot of men either yeah true like what it does it actually it can actually arouse women and this is where there's some confusion like it can actually get a woman physically aroused like lubricating and so forth but that doesn't mean that it's kind of turned her on mentally as well. In fact, it can be, it can cause this kind of complete, you know, cognitive dissonance or mind fuck where her body's turned on but her mind's turned off. And in fact, they've shown that in some scientific studies yes. where they show women pornography and yeah. their bodies are responding aroused to yeah. the pornography. Yes. But their minds are elsewhere and they're reporting. Yeah. Yes. That it's not really they're working not on, in their like, heads. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact is that women can, you know, lubricate and even have orgasms when they're being raped, even though it's a completely horrific experience for them. Yeah. Okay. That's mm. interesting. Yeah. So it is quite interesting. But look, having said that, um, there are women who like porn. 
you know, and that's absolutely fine. So it's not that, you know, women don't like porn and men do like porn because lots of men don't like porn and lots of women do like porn. But it's kind of like, well, again, what is it that you're watching? You know, there's softer, more erotic kind of porn or perhaps you just prefer reading erotica. You can read erotica aloud to each other. So there are some, so there are some, to answer the question, there are some sex-based differences around porn. Yes. But they might not actually be biological ones either. They might also be socially conditioned. Well, yes, and there, no doubt there are a lot of women who might like porn if they allowed themselves to like it. Yeah? And men who, if they were honest with themselves, admitted that they, they really, didn't, really didn't like it. Them. Yeah. But one thing to be really cautious about, because I see this so often, is that there's this idea that, hey, p- p- porn's really cool, and if you don't like porn, then you're not cool. And so I'm a really cool woman, so I'm really going to like watching porn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not cool to watch porn if you don't like porn any more than it's cool to, I don't know, eat eat, eat chocolate rubbish, cake. Yeah. If you don't like chocolate cake, just because lots of people like chocolate cake doesn't mean you have to like chocolate cake. Yeah. Really, you've got to get to know yourself, people. And here's another question from Sue in Smithstown in Scotland. Scotland? Scotland. Scotland. Ooh, uh, okay, oh, no, should, no, that sounds like a pirate. No, no, no. <laughs> I like sex, but I feel weird when the subject comes up and the other mums at playgroup are, well, I'm not going to do <laughs> no, that. No, do it, do it. It's good. Oh, go on, go well, to I don't know what they might on this. They or might do it <laughs> Oh, my God, it's that time. <laughs> Isn't it? Okay, we'll go to a commercial break. We'll come back to this later. I think we're having too much fun. I think so. You were paying attention. I don't know. I'm not getting any, no, I'm not getting any, uh, Hello, welcome back. Jacqueline Hellyer and Xavier Watercane here with you on the Tantric Lounge. And we were halfway through listening to a question from Sue in Scotland. And I'm I'm not going to continue with the Scottish accent. I'll just go really (laughs) quickly then. Um, I like sex, but I feel weird when the subject comes up with the other mums at playgroup or with closer friends because they're always complaining that their husband wants sex and they don't. I've always shut up and not said anything because I don't want them to think that I'm strange or to make them feel bad. Mm. But maybe I'm perpetuating the myth by being quiet. Maybe some of the other mums like sex too, but aren't going to break the silence. What do you think? Should I speak up? Yes, Sue, absolutely speak up. Everyone who's listening out here, can we please all start speaking up about sex in a real way, not buying into the myths, but just being honest about what it is for us. Because, yes, I hear this sort of thing from women a lot. Because they're talking to other women and the other women are saying, oh, we don't want sex or our husbands, blah, 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 they kind of feel too timid to kind of go, well, yeah, but, you know, I actually like sex. We have a good sex life. Or, And then even you might find that some of the other mums there actually do like sex or would like to have better sex. And if we actually talked about positive sex and how to make sex good and shared, then maybe we'd all start having better sex. Okay, so you're in Sue's position. She's in Smithtown with the yes. other mums and they're all saying blah, 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 blah. Yes. How should Sue actually introduce the subject? Should you just say, well, I like sex? <laughs> yes, she could. It depends on Sue's personality, really, how she wants to bring it up. But she shouldn't feel guilty about it. No. Or maybe she could say, well, maybe you're not having the right kind of sex. and they might Before she comes out with the big declaration is that. Yeah, yeah. Or she could just start with, well, actually, I think the kind of, you know, lovemaking, maybe say lovemaking rather than sex, that, you know, my husband and I have is actually quite good. What's happening with you two that you're not? Or, or even be sympathetic. That's awful. How awful that you're not having a beautiful love life. I feel sorry for you. How can I help you? Ah, that might be a good one. That's a nice approach. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, Yeah, go with that one, Sue. And 
Phil from Maysville, Kentucky. I just want to say your show is brilliant for, sex, Aww, for thanks, sex, Phil. sex for the thinking person. I too am sick of yeah. the view that we men are obsessed with sex and are like animals who have to have it all the time. I'm sure there are men like that, but as you say, we're on a spectrum and we're all different. I feel that a lot of men are made to feel shameful about our desire for sex. That was certainly the case in my first marriage where my wife threw the tired old, you're a man and you're sick for wanting so much sex all the time mm. at me all the yeah. time. Yeah, yep, yep. Fortunately, I got over that, and my current partner sees my desire for her as a positive thing, and we have a great sex life. Thanks for your wisdom. Keep it up. Well, that's nice of you, Phil. It is. And I like that. What do you call it? Sex for the thinking person. Sex for the thinking person. Yeah. Um, so mm. seeing sex for her as a positive thing rather than a negative thing, that's yes. going to be an attitudinal thing. It is. That's a lot of what you deal with in a therapy situation. Absolutely. Varying attitudes. Yes. You're, you're a man, you're sick for wanting it all the time mm-hmm. is an attitude. Yes. It's a judgment. Yes. And, and seeing his desire for her as a bad thing. Yeah. When a woman can see her partner's desire for her as a beautiful thing, as a welcome thing, but that's what the sort of thing that people come to therapy for. Yes. But it's very much the whole tantric approach as well and the complementarity, which we're, we're getting to. It hasn't been a very tantric day today because busting a few serious myths. But when you can welcome desire from your partner, then it becomes like a gift. And now we move to the lower part of the show where we're dealing with our bodies. <laughs> well, yes. Now, we always finish off the show with some practical activity and last week we did breathing. The first week we had a sense of feeling what it was like to be present in our bodies. Last week we learned about belly breathing, which is a really essential part to being able to relax into sex, to be mindful, to be present. And for those of you who are interested in doing some more advanced type tantric practices, it's absolutely essential that you learn to breathe correctly. So go back and listen to that program if you haven't heard it yet. So today we're going to take that a little bit further and we're going to start working our pelvic floor. Now, that doesn't sound particularly erotic or particularly tantric, but believe me, it is essential because you can use your pelvic floor muscle as a kind of energy pump, right? And in time, you can start to use your pelvic floor to pump sexual energy throughout your body and you can reinvigorate yourself whenever you feel like. Practically, it's also really good for preventing men um, ejaculating too quickly and to enhance orgasm and so forth. So let's just spend a few minutes getting in touch with our pelvic floors. Now, what this is, it's, it's, a, it's like a band or a girdle of muscle that goes from your tailbone, your coccyx at the base of your spine, if you want to touch that so you can just feel where that is, across to your pubic bone right at the front there. Um, it's this band of, it's like a girdle of muscle and it sort of keeps all your insides in place. There's a few holes in there for various tubes to come through. Okay, now, if you squeeze that, it's the same sensation as though you're trying to stop the urine flowing when you're going to the toilet. Okay, so if you just squeeze that, just gently and just rhythmically. Now, it's important that when you're squeezing your pelvic floor as much as possible, you relax your abdomen and you relax your buttocks. If you're not used to doing this exercise, you might find that the whole lower body sort of contracts together. And over time, you become better and better able to isolate the muscles. And then you can start doing some really interesting stuff. So just for now, all together now, I just want you to squeeze and relax, squeeze and relax. Are you doing this too, Xavier? Yes, but I'm 
concentrating on isolating the muscles because it's really important to relax yes. the buttocks and the lower spine. Yes. And the belly. Yes. So we're really const- re- really narrowing it down to that small area of very small muscles. Yes. Yes. Which will get stronger. They will indeed. Okay. So everyone's still squeezing and relaxing. You can do this at any time. You can do this when you're stopped at red lights, when you're brushing your teeth. I used to practice this when I was singing um, lullabies to my children when they were little. I would squeeze in time to the music. So I'd be singing twinkle, twinkle, little star. And then you really hold the squeeze on the star. Holding the note and holding the muscle. Yes. It was a fantastic way to remember to do my pelvic floor squeeze. And it's actually more interesting to sing and squeeze than it is just to squeeze. So we're looking at the area of the perineum between the the genitals and the anus. Yes, you're getting ahead of me there, Xavier. Just Sorry, hold just, on there. just yes. need to focus on the right yeah. area. I just want yes. to So just the moment, you're just imagining that you're, you're stopping the urine flow. Okay. So now I want you to do it so that you squeeze and you hold, hold, hold. And staying relaxed in the lower body. Well, in fact, the whole of your body. And relax. And then squeeze and you hold it. Hold it. So initially you might only be able to hold it for a couple of seconds, build it up to 10, even 20 seconds. And remember to breathe while you're doing it. (laughs) If only we could see your face. I can see your face. All right. Now the next one is it's like you're, you're in an elevator. So you're going to squeeze, squeeze a little bit more, squeeze some more, and squeeze even more and relax. And squeeze, squeeze some more, squeeze a little bit more, squeeze and relax. So those are the three basic exercises, just rhythmically squeezing and relax, squeezing and holding, and then squeezing and squeezing and squeezing some more. And it's also really, really important that you focus on the relaxation, right? Because a lot of people actually carry a lot of tension down there as well. Certainly if if you're a woman who has vaginismus and there's a lot of tightness, it's important that you also focus on the relaxing out. And you can combine this with the breathing exercise that we did last week where we did um, the six-second inhalation and the six-second exhalation. Right? So you can add, add um, the pelvic squeeze with the in-breath, squeezing in, breathing in, taking your time. And then on the out-breath, you're just letting it go, letting the breath go and just relaxing the muscles and just breathing it out again. You can do that over and over again. Now, if you do have a partner, you can do that together. You can have his penis inside her vagina. Ladies, it's kind of nice if you're sitting astride or if you're in the yab-yum position where you're actually got you're cross-legged and your legs are crossed behind his back. And if his penis is inside, you can practice this, just squeezing in, squeezing out, relaxing out, sorry, in and out. Now, some of the benefits of doing this is is that you, um, well, for a start, you're going to prevent vaginal prolapse, which is when you get old and your vagina falls out, which is really quite hideous and is normally a strong incentive to women to start squeezing. Um, For guys, it can actually give you better erectile performance as you get older as well. And for both men and women, it can really enhance orgasmic sensation because part of orgasm is muscle contraction. And so the more toned your muscles are, the better they'll respond. So for some practice, you can practice this on your own. And as I said, you can do some partnered practice where you can do it with penis inside vagina. You can also think of it as though, uh, ladies, you're giving his penis a massage with your vagina. 
Yeah, and it's certainly a good way to to get a sense of the tone of your muscle. So, and don't give up hope if initially you're on top of him, of him and you're going, "Can you feel that?" And he's like, "Nah." <laughs> don't give up hope. Keep squeezing. Keep practicing. And over time, he'll be able to go, "Oh, yeah, I can definitely feel that." Okay, and whether you're consciously working your pelvic floor and your vaginal muscles, or whether you're you just become naturally more responsive because a well-toned vagina will actually hold the penis, will hold it tighter, which will make it feel more pleasant for the penis involved and for the vagina. So it's very important that you focus on that. Now, we don't actually have time this week to do the big draw, which is what I was going to do, which is how you can start using that pelvic floor to start drawing the energy up. So I'll just leave that as homework for everybody. Um, practice all week, practice these these pelvic floor exercises and next week we'll start applying them. It's challenging enough to yes. isolate that mm-hmm. very specific area. Mm. Yes. Because I've noticed in myself there's a tendency to tense up in places mm-hmm. where you're saying don't tense up. We'll try not to, yes. Yes. All right. So next week we're going to do the big draw. Yes, next week we're going to do the big draw. And next week... Uh, our theme is men are fire and women are water. Yes, it's about the this is about the differences, the actual differences, and how they are good, they are positive, they are complementary. So even though we've spent the past hour saying that the differences between men and women are often in the head, yes. rather than in any mm-hmm. reality, mm. there are in fact quite interesting differences yes. between male and female sexuality. Yes. That if you recognise, acknowledge mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and work with them, yes, certainly go a long way to helping you fulfil your sexual potential. Absolutely. You will go places that you might only be dreaming of right now. Um, going um, just on this drawing that mm-hmm. we don't really have time for, just mm. talk about that briefly, about drawing the energy up. Yes, it's part of the tantric practice and raising the kundalini energy and so forth that what you can do is as you generate the sexual energy through intercourse or through thinking about it or just through breathing, you can do this on your own, you can actually draw that energy up into your body and start getting some really quite ecstatic um, experiences going. And that's when sex becomes really quite spiritual. And if you want the ebooks yes, to go the with this series, they're yes. available at jacquelineheldia.com or, or the tantricclounge.com. Yes. And this will talk about this in more in, in greater depth. Yes, yes. So people have an awareness of what's yes. going on yes. in their bodies and their hearts and in their minds. Yes. So I'll join you. Uh, please join us again next week. <laughs> 